2: Hello and welcome to the NXT 2.0
1: Review.
2: I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Andy Murray to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review NXT 2.0, Raw, SmackDown, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on Wrestle Culture, Murray, the show, (laughs) possibly the very worst episode of NXT 2.0, certainly that I can remember. I don't (laughs) think this was for you. Can you have a little bit of a a short concise confirmation of that?
3: Yeah, I thought it was the worst wrestling show of the year. Uh, Certainly the worst wrestling show that I've seen this year. I'm sure there are probably things that have gone on in the wider wrestling world that have been worse across the board, but in terms of just a complete lack of highs that were anything beyond okay um, to the just shuddering lows of what's going on in the world title picture at the moment on this brand and various other things. Um, Little things like matches that, that showed little flashes of potential and then fizzled out and drowned under a big puddle of rubbish. Um, yeah, this this was a, a disaster of a show. Really, really poor. And yeah, I'm happy to call it the worst
2: 2.0 show so far. It's an absolute disgrace, quite frankly. And you're going to get in-depth thoughts as to why as we proceed. But we start off uh, pretty deadly. Decide to come to the ring for an opening verbal segment. I like how they're
3: Scottish. <laughs>
2: This has got like two kind of promo trains in one segment, which sets the tone for, yes, again, another hideous show. So pretty definitely come out, right? And you know what? (laughs) We did say that this show was effectively irredeemable. However, there was one high. They buried NXT UK, which is genuinely really funny. So they come out and they say something to the effect that we made history by winning the NXT World Tag Team Championships. They do the heel bit where they say they beat four teams technically, which is, you know, technically true. And it's good heel stuff, I kind of guess. And they said, Kip specifically, they're used to having gold around their waists because they dominated NXT UK. But, and I quote here, this isn't me editorializing, because I don't really like NXT UK, they literally come out and say that that scene was, quote, quote, too drab. So they decided to come to NXT (laughs) 2.0. This is the same company. If they were trying to get this point across, couldn't they have said something to the effect of, you know, we just beat the competition and we got bored by the lack of competition? That's at least in character, their heels, they could have put over the challenges they've, oh, yeah anything to make this a work to put over your own brand it does not look particularly healthy Uh, the outlook for NXT UK on this evidence and the fact that virtually every other performer is flying out at a rate of knots to um, Florida so that was very interesting and they said they did it in one night and grizzled young veterans come out um, and they dispute the integrity of the win Um, they want to know where their invite to the gauntlet was Basically, they are putting themselves under by saying that they weren't even considered the sixth best team in NXT 2.0, so why would I want to watch watch a match of theirs on this basis? I've got absolutely no idea, but they have a Barney, and uh, they said they're tired of not having opportunities, so they're going to take it tonight, and then in a further interruption, Legado Del Fantasma come out, they have a scrap, it all goes into a schmoz, and then all of a sudden, Brombreaker <laughs> just steps through the ropes. <laughs> like, all right, okay. What, what I can understand interview time being sort of allotted, allocated on a show, but it just decides to, you know, well, it's what we do here. We talk, yeah. all the rest of it. And then almost instantly there's yet another interruption across two divisions in one friggin' segment. And it's Joe Gacy. Joe Gacy wants to know what he's willing to sacrifice. On the Tron. He says, He's not a hard man to find. Just come and find me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I swear to God, remember that thing with Bailey?
3: Yes. In the Thunderdome yes. last
2: year. I'm laughing. And then her laughing visage appears on every single screen. Then some idiot in the YouTube comment section goes, oh, God, I'm going to miss when fans are back because I can't say cool stuff like this. <laughs> well, their prayers have been answered. Nobody else's has. And um, across every single screen in the NXT 2.0 venue, whatever it's bloody called, we see Joe Gacy a- laughing. Ah!
3: What is going on? What's going on with this entire piece of work? This all unfolded in the space of, what, four minutes at the start of the show? It was like, this was such a hundred miles an hour show. And usually I'm kind of in favor of that if the content's good, because it's exciting and nothing lingers too long and and you keep it moving. Um, Man, this was just a whole hodgepodge of what the hell's going on. Um, I appreciate Zach Gibson's opening line being shut up, you bad dweebs. More of that, please. Yes. That's fun. Uh, but that's kind of where it ends. With this, uh, you've got Legado coming out and they were eliminated first in that gauntlet match, if I recall correctly, by the Creeds. And they seem to think they have the right to a tag team title match as well. You've got the Grizzled Young Vets who are very good burying themselves, like you said. Uh, you got the Big Brawl. You got brawn Breaker manifesting out of nowhere. And then, what is this showcasing character? So it started obviously as like... Bruce Pritchard's uh, jab at woke culture, right? It's it's to pop people like him and Road Dog, who's obviously no longer with the company, and and ah, oh, these PC people, blah 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 blah, and you're like, all right. I I can see what this is. You're about five years too late with some of the terminology you're using here. I think maybe if you said things like triggered five years ago, you would have got more of a reaction. Today, nobody cares, brother. Nobody cares. Uh, And now it's just kind of evolved into (laughs) The Fiend (laughs) in right to censor gear.
2: Where was Harland as well on this show? I was expecting him to pop up in the main event Mm. segment. Because that might have excused how much of an idiot or how weak Brombreaker looked, yeah. but we'll we will get to that.
3: Yeah, I've got some big picture thoughts on on the worries I have for Brombreaker as a prospect that we'll get to in that as well. But yeah, I mean this was <laughs> This is garbage, man. I don't really have much constructive to say about it. The Bailey thing was obnoxious as hell in the Thunderdome, and I I I I don't understand the appeal of that thing fundamentally. Um theoretically i guess the visual fans though yeah oh yeah much better much better than natural organic reactions to things um they've they've done it again here it was somehow even worse Braun breaker is really upset because joe gacy put his dad in a cage and heated up his ring last last week and put it on his finger because
2: he's really hard
3: uh, help
2: I'll help you by moving swiftly on. We get a digital uh, replay of a digital exclusive, uh, exclusive rather, in which Santos Escobar um, talks down Mello in this sort of like incredibly, like luxurious (laughs) Floridian mansion with a pool. He's always aesthetically absolutely on point. He just looks like a total star. I don't understand why he's not on the main roster. Uh, But regardless, he talks about how um, for these. The a champion has a lot of excuses, claims that Melo was never actually worthy of the title, but that's another story. And if he actually has a problem with it, Santos can remind him that his place is at the back of the line. So it looks like we're getting that. Um, in fact, we get it tonight. Uh, Trick and Mello backstage. Uh, Mello says that Santos um, is just nuts to say that he deserves to go back to the back of the line because he is the line. Two consecutive wordplay Promos, very WWE, very bad. I can't be asked with any of this. And on the subject of I can't be friggin' arsed, we get Tiffany Stratton versus Saray. This match is not good. Uh, I no. love like how Brian Alvarez says that <laughs> because he get like a really neat summation of what it is. Uh, basically, the story is that Tiffany's kind of afraid of Saray's awesome um, drop kick against the ropes. Um, she avoids it. She then eats a lot of Saray offense, then just simply headbutts her and wins. Yeah. There's one <laughs> moment where. Tiffany Stratton is trying to do the move where at the same time you do a strike and then leap out of the ropes or between the ropes to then launch another attack from the outside in is botched horrendously. The rest of the match is kind of on the rails. Um, I suspect that this sort of thing wouldn't be happening if there was a logo loop. They can't even draw a logo loop anymore and she was working longer matches on a more mm. consistent basis. But it's four-minute matches in which nothing can get progressed or no talent can improve. More of the same NXT
3: 2.0. Yeah, and that's why you get the abrupt finish here where where Saray finally hits the big bomb that she's been building to and then just loses <laughs> 10 seconds later. It's... Uh... Yeah, I mean, a uh, slight positive, I guess, maybe. Uh, do you reckon they're doing away with the the, the, the schoolgirl transformation thing? Because that was not here. Maybe that's gone now. Maybe. Maybe that's just wishful
2: thinking on my behalf. Uh, if anything, if uh, something's gone at the end of this, it's probably Sorey.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there you go. She's too good a wrestler uh, to be on this show and still very young in her career as well. Um, it's kind of weird that we've come to look at her as this like vanguard figure for this show as like a top three wrestler on it uh in her division at the very least. Uh, and yet she herself, when she left Japan, was considered like right at the start of her career, like a young growing prospect. She's not the finished article. And yet she's the person who's being trusted to elevate people like Tiffany, Tiffany Stratton uh, who might have the character down and she's very athletic and all of that stuff. Maybe she has lots of potential, but is is greener than the Grinch uh, between the ropes. Um, yeah, just... just You you summed it up. It's 2.0 in a nutshell. We build to this dropkick spot, and the dropkick looks great every single time. Uh, It's a very cool move that looks like it's peeling people's faces off. And yet, when Saray hits it, after like three minutes or whatever, it's not sold for longer than like two seconds. Tiffany's straight back up pretty much and finishing the match with one move it's like nothing's getting the chance to grow nothing's get nobody's getting the chance to learn critically like would it not benefit tiffany stratton at this stage in her her career to sell like (laughs) to, to like learn how to tell stories and learn wrestling psychology and learn how to implement that into her matches in a in a good way like when you when you tell a story like she's trying to avoid this big bomb it's fundamentally classic pro wrestling stuff it's like age old you can tell this story in the seventies, right? And that kind of thing will be there. But if you don't let it resonate, if you don't sell anything, if you move away from the key beat, as soon as it's accomplished, it doesn't mean anything. And I don't know why I'm applying this level of scrutiny to 2.0, but maybe we should, because the theory behind the show and the excuse everyone gives all the time when something isn't bad is that they're learning and they're there to grow and they're young wrestlers and all of this stuff. But that only goes so far because if you're not implementing that on the show, then the show is completely worthless. If it's a training school, show them going to school. Show Tiffany Stratton selling. Show that she is developing a grasp of wrestling psychology or don't book stuff like this in the first place. Uh,
2: It was an absolute atrocity because wrestling is all about when to do it. I always use the example of Kazuchika Okada's dropkick. Not only is it just this impossibly cool-looking move in which he seems to levitate before striking the opponent, Okada can pace a match, right, where he... In the first five minutes of this, i roundly criticised in various quarters, but it kind of works because what happens is that he very, very, very slowly subdues his opponent. The idea that Tony sets in the first five minutes of every single match is, you can't do anything against me. That's how godlike I am. So when his opponent starts to really sort of rally and get a sequence, it means so much more if those five minutes hadn't happened. Yeah. And then when he blasts their face off with a drop kick, it's a reminder of, oh my God, no, you can't actually do anything against the carter because it can cut you off like that. And then when they come back again, it means something. It's all about the when. This is the opposite of when to do it. Literally the opposite of when to do your cool move because it just means nothing. It means yeah. less than nothing. It's this weird, bizarre anticlimax. As you said, we we'll spent too long. We we'll spent longer on this than they do literally teaching them the craft. It would appear yeah. like um So that was what it was. Um, Gibson and Drake walk through the back, um, and they encounter Mm -hmm. Bron Breaker in the halls. And he hears a voice. He hears a voice in the distance and directs him to the source of the voice. (laughs) And it's his father. It's his father via tape recorder, which has been left in a cage because as part of a show-long mystery hook angle, um, he's trying to find Joe Gacy. And Joe Gacy is playing mind games because he's the fiend, and uh, honestly, I thought this was almost worse than it was, which is saying something about my expectations. He steps into the cage like an idiot. I'm honestly expecting Harland or Gacy to close it and for him to sort of do some... It would have been cool if... Yes, he would have been an idiot if he stepped in the cage. But if they like closed the cage on him and then he just kicked the cage's head in. Yeah. And like, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. It, like a, a big, stupid WWE style breakout. But spot. that would be uh, utilizing a performer's strengths, Michael. Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. He's, he instead just goes crazy, smashes the, the iPad or whatever the th- it is, and it leaves.
3: A very loud iPad to be able to boom through the entire uh, hallway like that as well. Just. Yeah, the red lighting, the the imposing tones. Joe Gacy is possessed with fiend magic. Is this what Bruce Pittsard thinks all woke people are like? If you are a left killer clown, yeah, Jason, <laughs> 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 people around buildings, going, ooh <laughs> come come into my lair, Republican!"
2: <laughs> your evil friend from the carnival.
3: <laughs> Congratulations, you are on your way to comprehending Joe Gacy. Uh, <laughs> Just, like, I, I, I'll give the usual disclaimer for this stuff, right? I like Joe Gacy. I have liked Joe Gacy since before he was in WWE. I liked him in CZW and around the indies. I think he's a very talented man.
2: This is garbage. This is garbage. And as you so eloquently point out, well, well beneath him, but this shows beneath absolutely everybody. And um, Pretty Deadly are backstage and they're Glad bragging. Norwegian guys. They're <laughs> bragging about how great they are, basically. And they run into Indy Hartwell and Persia Perotte. And in an attempt to sort of fool them into a match they pretend that they fancy them and say oh, you look so much better than you do on TV and one of them goes alright cheers and they challenge them to a match and they don't watch NXT 2.0 because why would they they don't realise that they are kind of doing it subtly um, on behalf of their men the, yeah, the 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 cornerstone of their lives, their cocks and um, pretty deadly just say yeah yeah we're up for this and then um, talk of time and place gets mentioned. And one of yeah. the pretty Daddy goes, oh, I can think of a place. And I think he means the bedroom. <laughs> and, and then it turns out, no, 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 not for us. We were, we were issuing the challenge on behalf of our men. And it's uh, Duke Hudson. And it's uh, Dexter Loomis, And I don't watch the show anymore not want to review it, but there's more to do. Um, so they kind of get a little bit scared. They say, oh, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. It's always for later tonight. It's always for later tonight. Yeah. And uh, we come backstage to Mackenzie, what's her name? Mackenzie Mitchell. Mitchell. Mackenzie Mitchell. Um, she questions uh, Grayson. Why did he let go of Sanger? And uh, Grayson Wallace says, I was committed to the perfect plan to become champion. I did really, really well to sell the injury. I was even having old ladies help me with my shopping in a pretty great line, he says. And I made them do it because I wanted to commit to the bit. He says, unfortunately for the whole plan, Um, Sanger completely ruined it, and uh, Andre Chase comes in and says this is a teachable moment, and uh, he says something else, and I really can't be bothered with recapping this. It was so absolutely boring, at which point Sanger comes in. Grayson Waller sells fear really quite well. He's throwing everything in Sanger's path, like those production (laughs) units on wheels and just anything he can get his hands on. He's throwing it at Sanger, who's this absolutely uh, dauntless monster in pursuit of Grayson Waller and um, keeps chasing him, and that is the uh, start of the match, <laughs> which basically is uh, Walla tries to hit Sanger. Sanger absolutely no-sells it. Walla can't do anything. He can't make the guy budge. He attacks, he attacks, nothing. Sanger then does this incredibly slow, basic, limited, all of the bad adjectives, basically. Um heat sequence, and this feels like it goes 10 minutes. It lasts all of, like, a minute and a half, and then ultimately the monster succumbs, to the same thing that beats every monster in WWE. Mm -hmm. They get posted, back in the ring, Grayson Waller leaps back in, does his finish, and that's the uh, the the end. Yeah. Some monster. Yeah, some monster. This he has guy. to be a monster, literally, from like the for the jump.
3: Exactly. I was going to say, like Grayson Waller in the promo was talking about how he'd come up with a perfect plan and all of this stuff, and it's like, mate, you probably should have realised that this was going to happen when your big monster lost in two minutes in his first match a few months ago. It's like it's very, very difficult to uh, put any level of investment earnestly in that kind of story uh, with the way it's gone so far. Sangha looked okay rampaging through the backstage area. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, uh, maybe this will be fun. And, like... Then the bell rang. Yeah, then the bell rang. And then, like... I, I kind of appreciate the match starting in a bit of a different way. It just, you know, flips up the format. The guy's coming from the backstage area. Unbelievably, if you wanted to style it out, you could have the commentators go, oh, the matchmakers have decided we'll just have it now. It's like, it's economical. Why not? Um, but, yeah, then the bell rang. And fair play. It's big basic power stuff. That That stuff can work, like... To a degree. But the thing is, when your big spot that people are supposed to invest in is the Beal throw, and it's the Beal throw over and over and over again, the Beal throw is a great looking move. The problem is, Keith Lee has elevated the Beal throw to a ridiculous level. Literally
2: and figuratively.
3: Exactly. Like, if you cannot launch someone across the ring, even a third of what Keith Lee can do, you can't get away with doing it seven times in a row and expecting it to be this big, huge over thing. Like, even the easiest crowd in pro wrestling, the NXT crowd, were quite mum on it and just going, eh, hey, hey. eh, it was nowhere near what they were aiming for. Um, yeah, basic moves. I think what Grayson Waller's very extra, and sometimes that comes off really well. Like, the the, the promo, it's not a good story, but he, he did what he could with it. He over-egged literally everything, and sometimes that's very entertaining. I thought he was quite fun here when he was trying to sell for this guy. Um, Jupe and grannies is
2: good heat. Yeah, it's
1: good Always.
3: stuff. It's good stuff. And like, yeah, maybe the story would be more effective if he sold the injury for a few more weeks, but it's NXT, things don't get time. Um, the, the finish, oh my God. Yeah, he, can't do anything against this guy. Like you say, he's going for the knees, he's taking shortcuts, he's looking for desperately any level of offense, and then he just hits the post and loses. It's like, there's no dedication to even a base level of in-ring storytelling on this brand. And again, how are these people supposed to learn how to be fully formed pro wrestlers if they aren't allowed to do that thing at the school level? It's just rubbish stuff, really rubbish stuff. Sangha from day one, like, I like the idea. Grayson Waller is the kind of little annoying rat who yes. should have a heater who can hide behind it's like i really kind of a meme these days but i really like the brian kendrick ezekiel jackson pairing back in the day i thought that was good fun stuff um but they fast forwarded through this at 100 miles an hour they wrapped it in a couple of months they had the big guy lose his first match a few months ago they had him job out looking like a total geek here again um yeah i i <sighs> Some Sometimes your developmental territory shouldn't be on television. In fact, most times. And I think this is a good example of that. Waller is probably close to... He's a lot further along in his development than most people on this brand. But he's working with complete rubbish here. And I don't know. Maybe
2: Sangha has a future as like a big man, but... This wasn't good. The discourse around big men was poisonous, as is literally every other bit of discourse about AEW, particularly with like Lance Archer, I distinctly recall in 2020. Look, the the, the the reality of the big giant character in pro wrestling and why it doesn't really work on episodic TV wrestling and why it really worked for Andre the Giant, who was coveted by every single promoter, is that they have to lose, and when they lose, it's like, ah, oh, well, if they, if they don't have invincibility going for them, they don't really have the... the 30-minute in-ring sagas or the character progression or whatever, you have to beat the monster. And when you beat the monster, that's kind of it for them. You can do diminished returns and TV-level programs, all the rest of it. This show was so incompetent that they didn't even have the monster look like a monster for one minute or one week or one segment. It's uh, terrible. The show absolutely sucks. Like, just let the monster be the monster, just for a few months, just for a few months. Because yeah, you're not going to get the most mileage out of it. You're not going to get years out of it. You can get months out of it, and they didn't get a week out of it. Yeah. Absolutely terrible.
3: You've got to at least give things a chance to get over, right? If you're the bookers, like you have to portray them in the light that you want people to see them as, and they and then beating them might mean something to the person yeah. who
2: actually beats them.
3: And they just continually fail at this base level over and over and over again. It's evident in almost every single match on this show. It's uh, this is. My goodness me. I know we were all really tired with like burned out on the presentation, the Warhammer grimdark presentation of NXT with the loud metal and the screaming announcers and and the dingy lighting and all of that stuff towards the end. But my goodness, the number they have done on this brand, man, like I didn't enjoy NXT week to week before this. Now, this, this is like a parody of a pro wrestling show and a parody of a developmental. It is how many people on this brand? have showed concrete levels, like measurable levels of improvement since it started, who weren't already like seasoned indie people, which is supposed to be the antithesis of the show. People like Carmelo Hayes are really good, but Carmelo Hayes was really good before he joined yes. WWE. Um, Grayson Waller, again, uh, Aussie indie circuit. He was all over that place. Matty Wahlberg, he was that doing get, bits. That was getting
2: like raves as well, pre-pandemic.
3: Exactly. Like that was a hot scene. And then, you know, the world kind of erupted and and all of that shook out. But like- the the young prospects they're trying to push. Is Cora Jade any better today than she was six months ago?
2: Yes, but that would be impossible. I'm not being funny. It'd be kind of impossible for her to get any worse than yeah. she was. Breaker still gets lost in long matches, and he still loses the audience when he's trying to sell. Yeah. He's no better, realistically. But that's because he was so gifted physically and athletically that there was stuff he could do, and he, he took to it. Yeah. But he's not any better.
3: Yeah, not and we'll get better. to him at the end of it. The- i got some thoughts on Braun Breaker, but I, I, even then, like... My example there of Cora Jade's a poor example because she was on the Indies before as well. So it's like, who? I'm begging someone to tell me who's benefiting from the system so who far.
2: Who hasn't had prior experience.
3: Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know it's only been six months or whatever. I know. But come on. Like, there are people. Look at Ty Conti, for example. And look, I, yes, I'm doing the thing where I compare promotions. People are not going to like that. But I don't care. It's a valid example. Look at Ty Conti as an example. Within three months of her being on TV and Dark and all of that, she was demonstrably better than on day one. It, fundamentally this system so far is extremely flawed and I'm not seeing any evidence that it's working whatsoever. And it's in people like Sangha and other less season, Tiffany Stratton, who we've spoken about even people like Sir Ray, who's a fantastic prospect, but is not going to become a fantastic all round wrestler in this awful show.
2: No, we on the subject of an awful show. We get a vignette, um, just going down. Uh, so, sorry, recapping. Um, Natalia's sort of return to NXT last week and her uh, betrayal of Cora Jade. And uh, this is Jade doing a lot of the talking here. She's talking about the old cliche, how you should never meet your heroes. And she discovered that that is in fact true. Um, she denies what Natalia said. They said that um, the future of the women's division with Cora Jade at the face of it was bleak. But Natty is dead ass wrong. And um, when she was young, she saw Natalia as a dream match. But now her only dream is to kick Natalia's quote legendary ass the boat the boat the legendary ass Um she rips up the picture of them it's always a useful tool yeah. to have that yeah. sort of in the bank and um, but she steps on italia's face before walking away we then get another vignette of a debutante and talk about how she was an outcast at school but she used to play <laughs> wwe video <laughs> games and to help her escape the fact that she didn't have the best life at school, and then she kept playing them, and she kept playing them, and hired a young actress to do it, and then it morphs into, who was revealed to be uh, Roxanne Perez, the former Roxy. That's right. And uh, she's basically playing a gamer,
3: <laughs> because
2: she's decided that playing games made her realize that wrestling was cool, and that she wanted to do this for a living, and it's it's another, NXT loves its young, do I dreamer, Archetype, it's been the bread and butter of this brand for God knows and how long. And this was
3: literally one segment after pretty much the exact same thing with Cora Jade yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. One of them
2: sort of was an actual super fan of the diary, this one just plays computer games. It's basically a gamer a character.
3: Yeah, I'm surprised it took them this long actually to, to do a uh, capital G gamer, capital G girl as a character archetype. But, um, and it's quite telling. Yeah, they put these two segments back to back, literally back to back and it's the very similar thing. I think at least with the Cora Jade stuff, I like I think it's good that she's like this outward fan girl cuz
2: th- it's better than burying NXT UK.
3: Exactly, exactly. And you can le- leveraging real life stuff into pro wrestling drama is uh very effective and has been for decades and I believe her when she speaks. So, it's decent enough. Um I was worried when I saw this 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 uh Roxanne Perez segment here it brought me back immediately to 2016 and the new Cruiserweight champion, TJ Perkins, is debuting on Raw and immediately burying the revived division because he's been saddled with a gamer character where he has a 16-bit entrance theme and he's walking around backstage going, hey man, it's not game over yet. You need to level up and dropping all this stupid hokey, ver- hokey verbiage. And then I thought back, well, who's ultimately pulling the strings on Raw? It's always been Vince. Who's ultimately pulling the strings in in NXT at the moment. It's Vince, obviously just above Bruce. Oh, this is not going to be good for one of the most exciting young prospects. She's only 20 years old, uh, the former Roxy. Not a good start for her. Fortunately, you know, when we got to the match later on, the gimmick didn't really come into it. So that's good as well, at least. Um, but yeah, I like, toxic attraction just walking up and going, hey, this isn't a video game. This is real life. JC Jane. Is talk- it,
2: it's not real to me. like
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's like JC Jane talking like she's Minami Toyota or something like this 20 year seasoned veteran or whatever. It's like, what on earth? What are you trying to sell here, my friends? This is a, a weird situation. But like Roxanne Perez is extremely impressive, particularly for her age. Like I say, she's 20. Um she had anyone who's not seen her before. I'd recommend specifically her match with Diona Perrazzo from impact earlier this year, just before she signed, she's just remarkably assured and she's got great poise for someone who hasn't been doing this all that long. Like Cora Jade. I believe her when she says I used to play these games and like, that was how I, Discovered wrestling was so awesome and I made myself and I lived in the fantasy world. Now this has come back to life. Um, the warning sign is that WWE tends to do very poorly with this kind of overawed babyface character. More often than not, rather than presenting them as people who are growing and building strength and believing in themselves and 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 becoming stronger versions and all of this, they make them look like idiot losers. Um, hopefully that won't be the case here, but I have little reason to believe it won't be. Um, Very diplomatic, this. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be polite, man. Yeah. Like, we, we've we've had the shovel out a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. We've been penta-oscuro, uh, and now we're vampiro? I don't know.
2: Right, Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> as you mentioned, Toxic Attraction um, interrupt, uh a real interview with um, Roxanne Perez, and there was meant to be a match schedule for next week, but they've just thought, let's bring it forward to tonight, because um, everyone's a booker. Absolutely everyone's a Booker, and uh we then go to Lagarde del Fantasma versus Gibson and Drake, given the talent involved like the first minute of this match, I'm watching um Drake and Walking Wild work a sequence where they are actually wrestling as if they have a strategy for the next counter and for the next hold, and they are desperately sort of trying not to eat offense, and it's like, I'm watching. Two guys emulate a battle and a struggle here, and it's just in stunning contrast to everything else that's been served up on the show. There's a basement level of quality that's always going to be good, but the length of the match, I think it only went about five minutes or so, means you can't really get anything. I would describe it as two teams basically saying that this is going to be ruined by an angle uh, in the post-match, so let's just take it in turns. Two and a half minutes, we'll show our stuff. Two and a half minutes, you show off yours, and then we'll get to the rubbish finish. And the rubbish finish... (laughs) Is that uh, there's some stuff on the outside, some dives, and uh, well, you go, you go because you were fascinated by this. Well,
3: uh, are we maybe mixing up our rubbish finishes?
2: I think the super rubbish
3: finish was in the next oh, match. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. So oh. <laughs> we'll get to that in due course. But uh, it's a fun little sprint, wasn't it? Um, it was. It's quite refreshing on an episode of NXT because your usual format is. Um, with the odd exception, uh, really good experienced seasoned wrestler versus green person. So it's nice when you get this little pairing of, of two tandems who are just great at what they do, and they have very complimentary styles. They worked at a great pace. This was a lot of fun while it lasted. Um, obviously, these two teams, if you give them 12 15 minutes they could they could do a lot better and they could have a really memorable match but that's not the priority on this show wishing for things like that out with the live events the live specials and actually even going by stand and delivers which we'll think in that show was made as hell um it's not really what the brand does anymore so yeah, i mean fine Before i got here yes i would like to see a more substantial match between the two teams but you're probably not going to get that. And now, like, with the... I think it was it, it was either on the show here or a digital exclusive. I'm getting myself mixed up there. Gibson and, and... I almost said Sterling. I think it was
2: a digital exclusive. Yeah.
3: Gibson and Sterling, you better bring your A-games. <laughs> uh, Shout-outs to the two people who know what that means. Um, but, yeah, they did the thing where they insinuated that they're maybe done with the brand and moving on to somewhere new. Um, I think that's a shame. I think they're a good team to keep around to, to help the greener tag teams. But... As we already discovered, uh, the approach to on-air talent development in this brand is uh, very lacklustre. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they might be considering jettisoning, jettisoning an elevatory tag team who, by the way, ran their own wrestling school in the UK and are probably very good guys to have around on a roster full of green people who've barely worked for a year. But here we are.
2: Here we are. Um, After that match, uh, apologies for getting the finishes mixed up, but you'll want to stick around for the one that um, I got (laughs) wrong because it was absolutely horrendous. Um, Escobar grabs a microphone, tells Tony D'Angelo to watch is he's going to take care of business in a match against Carmelo Hayes next. But we don't actually get that. We get a backstage interview with Wesley. I'm going to be kind to this. They are kind of relying on the the audience's knowledge of the real-life situation involving Nash Carter uh, without explicitly mentioning it. And I, you know what? I'll give them a pass on this. They can't very well say, oh, someone we signed, um, mocked Natism or, you know, like did a joke about it. And that is absolutely bollocks. And we can't have this. That guy has been fired. Hence why his partner has been stripped of the NXT tag team title and is lacking direction. But maybe this is less kind, but if you're going to, I think it's absolutely fair play to not mention the reasons behind Nash Carter's release. Um, It's just not the kind of thing that you want to broadcast. But at the same time, they're kind of indirectly weaving it into Wesley's character arc, which is odd because people will be lost. You don't want to bring attention to it. I think it would be better if they just completely moved on. They didn't move Mm -hmm. on. They moved on in a very weird, weird way here. And um, if you're going to sort of implicitly mention why Wesley is without a partner, without his title... At least make it mean something, as it, in regards to his career. They didn't do that because Zion Quinn, who was a babyface, I believe, two three weeks ago when he was trying to get um, Draco Anthony to not pay attention to Joe Gacy and his mind games and all the rest of it. And now he's playing heel here. He says, um, "You don't run it straight," and I was baffled. As was Wesley, who said, I, "I guess that sounds cool. I don't know what it means." They have a bit of a verbal spar, which leads to a match. Um, The whole gist is Wesley needs some peace in his life and he finds Hmm. his uh, peace in the ring. Um, I must have missed this because (laughs) my notes that I wrote this morning in a waking up at 5 a.m. fog said that Fallon Henley and Briggs and Jensen got attacked. I don't think anyone cares about that. So I'm just going to move swiftly on to Carmelo Hayes versus Santos Escobar, which right I thought, I thought this was genuinely a disappointment, right? You get 13 yes. minutes of two wrestlers who are two of the very best on the brand with a very performative and enthused audience. You've got the, a length of time to let them know what they can do. If anything, it should benefit in contrast to some of the really poor wrestling we saw earlier on. This was, I don't want to say insulting I don't really care that much, but there's a moment where they're doing some back and forth and, some of it looks really good. Others, Other sequences I would describe as um, atypically, uncharacteristically off. Then they do this big spot where they're like trading strikes on their knees as if uh, they're in the 70th minute of their NWA world title <laughs> match in like the 1960s. And I'm just thinking, you haven't earned this at all. What's going on here at
3: all? Certain
2: uh, Heartbreak Kids fingerprints, perhaps. Oh, well, yeah. Like, if you're going to do... A, We're so fatigued by a battle that we're going to strike and trade strikes on our knees, I'm thinking. It's a pretty lacklustre 30-minute TV You're not Harley
3: racing the Carolinas,
2: brother. Yeah, it was just absolutely (laughs) bizarre. The finish. God damn it, the finish. Here's what happens, right? Will you go through it? Because it's just so inexplicable.
3: (sighs) Carmelo Hayes is in the ring. Santos Escobar is outside the ring. Santos Escobar has had his... Recent issues with the dawn of NXT.
2: Tony D'Angelo. So
3: crowned at Stand and Deliver with the uh, assistance of his very natural TV performer mate, AJ Galante, uh, which we analysed in the most wonderful way the other week. While outside the ring, Santos Escobar is... Attacked by a couple of Bugsy Malone mascots (laughs) by the looks of things, We get a couple of, they were referred to later as Goombas, (laughs) trying to make a name for themselves. Picture picture in your head a cliched mafia person with the suit, the red tie, the hat. That's who you got. One of them distracted Carmelo. uh, Sorry, one of the Carmelo's in the ring. One of them distracted Santos Escobar. The other one came from behind and hit him with a crowbar. Back in the ring. Finish, one, two, three, job done. The implication, obviously, being that Tony, Tony D'Angelo has hired a couple of goons <laughs> to take out Santos Escobar, because <laughs> who's the real don of, of NXT 2.0? Groundbreaker. So yeah. So that's the answer. Who's the, who's the champion? Yeah. Uh, you just picture in your mind the most cliched, most stereotypical image of, of what, WWE perceive a mafioso to be It's like they're not even really painting With broad strokes anymore are they They're opening the can of paint And just throwing it at the wall <laughs> Like not, There's no attempt at crafting anything here
2: I legitimately right. So when I was watching this show I'd got on Twitter Muscle memory We're all well People certain people and I include myself in this Are unfortunately and chronically addicted To this website or this app So I'll go on and I don't want any spoilers Even for a show I don't, mind, I don't really care for but then I noticed a digital exclusive about grizzly um, young veterans who either intimate they're leaving the brand or Gibson and Drake are leaving the brand yeah. with the, the potential nugget there being that they're going to repackage themselves because everyone has to have a different name. and They're from the indie scene and they did have their names carried over. So the idea is that they either are going to the main roster or they're going to repackage themselves and disassociate from their failed run in NXT 2.0 so far. I genuinely thought when I saw these Mafia Bugsy Malone guys...
0: you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com.
1: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't
2: even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Really a mid-show gimmick change. Literally mid-show because one of them I thought looked a little bit like Gibson. Yeah. I'm thinking, have they literally repackaged these fellas <laughs> mid-show Turns out that probably isn't the case. They didn't really look like anyone. I'm just assuming they're from the athletic recruitment background. But yep, Tony D has got some mafia guys, and you can't do that finish when you're doing a match where they're like, they're trading blows on their knees, and it's the epic quest for supremacy, and just a lot of things clumsily welded onto things that they don't belong to.
3: Yeah, it's a real shame. The match was like, the match was a parody of a classic. NWA World Title Match. You're dead right. um It's a real shame. I put it over quite huge in the in the preview, talking about how these are two of the best guys on the roster. It's a rare example of them just doing doing a big exhibition match with a bit of story fluff. Really simple setup. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Okay, let's have a fight and see who's the best. Classic stuff. um And then yeah, I mean the the, the layout they chose was perplexing. There were a couple of slips here and there. That yeah. I didn't, there was one particularly weird moment where. Santos was was setting Hayes up for the punches in the corner, but he chose the wrong corner because that's not where the hard camera is, and he had to really clumsily flip over to the other side of the ring, and it's like that's the kind of thing that shows the another flaw in this developmental system. It's like, hey, you've got to work to the camera nonstop, and it's... I
2: wonder, sorry to interrupt your mid-flow mount, I wonder if that'll get the same traffic as Hangman Page doing that uh, uh, rampage. You know when he yeah. did the thing where he sat yeah, down? Yeah, he turned around. And that would dominate my Twitter. Honestly, like, in contrast to what I just said, over this weekend, I just didn't really care about it. Yeah, I don't. I, I looked at certain bits of the discourse. Oh, it's uh, sacrilegious and hard camera. I don't toss about any of this. But I yeah. wonder if that'll get the same consistent um, treatment. Oh, of course not. Of course not. You know how these people perform. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so after the match, uh, Trick tells the crowd to shut up. Uh, Mello <laughs> Hayes says that there's no one standing in his wake. So two weeks at spring breaking, which he can style various other members of the roster could not an icon either. Um, He's going to become a two-time North American champion. Grimes comes out to interrupt.
3: Here's the thing. Was spring break not about a month ago? That's what I'm thinking. It's like (laughs) April? Is it it not in March? (laughs) Why are they holding a show called Spring Breaking?
2: It's almost as bad as AEW doing Beach Break in January. True, So they do have... In in Ohio. (laughs) I appreciate that there are
3: beaches in Ohio, but it's not, you know. Yeah, like what are they thinking of that?
2: (laughs) It's a strange thing. So I know it's a ruse, but you still don't want to characterize your baby face in this way. I know there's two people in the ring, but Mellow and Hayes say, let's do it tonight. Let's do it tonight when... Cameron Grimes comes out to interrupt the post-match interview and Cameron Grimes motions to say something to the effect. No, 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 no not tonight. It's like, the baby face, the baby face, man. But obviously it's a ruse. So does in the ring and um, he lays out uh, the two heels I think they're heels, who knows anymore on the back of this segment, I presume there'll probably be a tag next week setting up look, as long as Trick Williams gets in that ring and gets some reps even if they don't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things, if there's a chance he can improve and marry his persona and my game to a good wrestling act I'm all for it. Yes,
3: yeah me too uh, I, lo- I love this guy obviously very young in his career, very green um, but he's uh, he comes across so well on tv he's very televisual um everything he's trying to project projects really well i love him and carmelo hayes together uh it's a shame when you get things like hayes jammed into that weird match layout last night but what's he gonna do um yeah they they rule together and uh i mean cameron grimes has been great for literally like a decade
2: should be fun should be fun um right bron breaker it's uh, scene emerging from an elevator in the backstage area, and uh, <coughs> he encounters a door, and there's some you know, like pretty hack spooky lighting, spooky lighting, and spooky noises emanating from said door. He opens it, he walks in, he says, the "Hell's this?" <laughs> and uh, we not clear what he's looking at at first, uh, but then saddles up to a mirror with Joe Gacy in it, except not in it. Because he's got supernatural powers. And then when Brombrick is frustrated by this mind game, the supernatural projection of uh, a woke liberal, he goes, where are you? And uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Like, what can you say about this? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to. So, oh God, here we go. Um, a, a common defense for stuff like this is that, oh, they're doing horror movie stuff. Stuff happens in horror movies all the time. My friends, if you put
2: this exact scene, take this exact thing with the production. I never watch a horror film and there's 10 minutes of a wrestling match breaking out in the middle of it. (laughs) True. (laughs) But
3: like, even if this was a horror film, right, which is a defense that a lot of people will use for this stuff. You take this scene and put it in the middle of a film. Nobody's going to stand for it because it's abysmal, right? It's not well shot. It's not well executed. Certainly not well acted. hacky nonsense. The most only in pro wrestling would we allow this terrible level of every single degree of execution to stand by going, oh, they would have done it in another entertainment form. No, they wouldn't have. They would have left on the cutting room floor because it was egregiously bad and they would have shot it better and used actual actors. It's not the kind of stuff pro wrestlers should be doing. Look, I, I understand what pro wrestling is I've been watching it since 1992 right sometimes pro wrestling is stupid and ridiculous and a bit over the top right but and I'm all for that I'll have a laugh if it's if it's well done but what you can't do is take the piss out of the entire art form and that's what segments like this do you uh, a good example of something that was a bit silly and resonated well because it didn't take the piss out of the entire art form just aspects of it. it would be something like Arcade Anarchy last year. We had Chris Statlander hanging out in the popcorn machine and popping out pushing the thing through. It's a huge crowd popping spot. It's believable because she could just be hanging out in a thing and then appearing she wasn't just teleporting like Joe Gacy did here. If you twist the boundaries of reality to such a degree that Joe Gacy who started out as a, a anti-woke or a, a woke caricature or whatever is now a teleporting fiend circus man I, i'm sorry you you lost me five hours ago friends um
2: this th- sucks i just hate how in one localized place the rules of like or understanding of the material world gets broken, <laughs> and then it's onto a wrestling match, and like the FBI aren't there <laughs> yeah. or anything. Yeah. It's just what the hell is going? On? Yeah, well, it's one thing to do literature underground, not my thing, but it kind of makes sense in its own universe. It's another thing to be like DDT, hmm. where it's just the irreverence is part of the charm and it's part of the USP. This is meant to be a real thing. Yeah, you can't have people growing up in a real world playing video games. To do this. Yeah. Then, I oh, you know, there's a, there's a creepy supernatural guy who can kill you from out of nowhere. All right, cool. I want to tie... Oh, just yeah. Nonsense. I hate it. I absolutely <laughs> hate it. And I've not seen one DDT match
3: involving the blow-up doll or the giant otter Pokotan or the giant panda that's been anywhere near as bad as anything that The Fiend has ever done. No. the Edge is currently doing on Raw or what Joe Gacy is currently doing on NXT. And that is because... You're taking the piss out of aspects of the business, not the entire business. Yeah, not the entire will.
2: Yeah. And our understanding of its physical properties. Exactly. Anyway, Michael Bivens is chatting to Ivy Nile on the phone and saying it's global because she's in NXT UK. A good move because Ivy Nile's got potential. I know... it's one of those. I work in a different style in Britain. which no, is WWE in Britain, so I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> and Roderick Strong um, hints at dissension within Diamond Mind, says something to the effect of, look, they've been rough, but I'm not going to let another group crumble in front of my eyes. Um, and he's going to make examples out of those who don't, aligned with his vision of the group. This would set up, I think, Creed Brothers versus Roderick Strong maybe down the line, but yeah. that's preview fodder, and I kind of need to piss at this point. We then do Natalia versus Tate and Paxley. The general story of the match is that Paxley has proven herself capable of outwitting Natalia. On the mat, in various exchanges, Uh, Natalia's approaching the match with a certain arrogance and entitlement uh, that comes with her veteran status. She gets surprised by how much Tate and Paxley shows. It's a decent layout for a master versus vet match that isn't going to blow anyone away. Natalia, in response to being sort of outclassed a little bit, gets a little bit flummoxed. um, She drops up with a suplex on the mat. I genuinely thought... Then she loses, of course, Tate and Paxley because the idea is that they're building Natalia as the big bad who Cora J can overcome. I thought Tate and Paxley... Um, did a reasonable job, um, an account of herself here.
3: Yeah, uh, she looked a little bit green when when she had her offensive moments. Um, but the, like defensively, I thought she was solid enough. Natalia played her role well. Uh, yeah, I mean one of the more effective segments on this entire show. Not that it's a high bar or anything, but you have to have stuff like this on your TV every week and. I know Natalia is maybe not the most exciting person you could bring down from the main roster. In fact, like if you were to pick ten people to bring from the main roster to NXT to work with exciting up and coming talent, I don't think she would politely. I think she's very skilled, but I don't think she'd make your top ten. No, um, no, but no not my
2: top thirty. Either.
3: No, maybe top top one hundred. But <laughs> all due respect, uh, she did a good job here. Uh, I don't buy into the boat uh, as a character, but. Um, hey if she can make uh lesser wrestlers less experienced wrestlers look pretty good
2: job done job done indeed tony d'angelo leaves the arena um he's asked like do you have anything to do with the sneak attack um on uh, santa's escobar um he accuses the interviewer says he got a lot of nerve um and it was just a couple of goombas trying to make a name for themselves not on behalf of him and he looks at legado's del can he says is that theirs and to say, yes, well, nice wheels. Uh, we get another vignette for Nathan Frazier, the former Ben Carter, um, talking about his creativity and all the rest of it. He's um, set to make his in-ring debut next week. Um, then we get a backstage segment involving Douja and Index, or more specifically, yeah, just all of them. And um, she asks Duke Hudson, what pants do you wear because they have to wear the same gear because they're in the same tag match. And there's this really wacky segment where... <laughs> Duke Hudson points out, well, how do you know what he's saying? Because he doesn't really emote nor speak. And then he says, he's got to speak his language. This means that Duke Hudson can do his um, sitcom acting real way. He tries to scrunch up his face and it's it's genuinely cringeworthy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, not really much to pick apart here, but um, whoever made Duke Hudson make those facial expressions, uh, I, I don't like you or your work.
2: No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> This is a glaring example of the dissonance you get between the two sides of NXT. I've never seen Zion Quinn work an exciting match quite as thrilling as this. And it's not that great, but when Wesley's involved and he's doing like yeah. backward leapfrogs over Zion Quinn's um head with his incredible timing and his dazzling speed, it makes a, it makes Zion Quinn looked like a monster who's ready to burst out of the seams just to get at someone and that's all Wesley's work um, when Zion Quinn's in control it's not quite so good and he gets the win um, with a charging forearm within three and a half minutes, genuinely I'm thinking Jesus Christ, Zion Quinn doesn't look that green here and he kind of revealed himself to be green yeah. when he was on offense.
3: Yeah, absolutely, I think he is, uh, I, I, I understand why they're investing in him, he's got an incredible, well he, uh, he, uh, theoretically like a very good look with the beard and the muscles and the and the haircut and all this stuff. It's kind of looks like a cool, cool creator wrestler you'd make on 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 uh on Roxy's wrestling games back in the day. Power um, plant. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's perfect. He's a power plant guy. Uh put him in the natural born thrillers. He'll be he'll be sorted. Um but the the work isn't there yet, obviously. and um, I don't the act isn't there at all. He's trying to project a degree of intensity that comes across as forced. It doesn't feel real. Um, He's not a particularly imposing guy, like like vibe-wise, visually, maybe, but not in terms of his aura. Um, Not sure this bodes well for Wesley. I've seen a few people post the idea that maybe this is the start of an underdog story, but... You got to remember the brand he's on. Even if they try and tell the underdog story, they'll do it over the course of three weeks when it should last three months. It'll culminate with an entirely unsatisfying win over somebody. Maybe it'll be Zion Quinn. Maybe it'll be someone like uh, the Cameron Grimes or whoever the uh, North American champion is. And um, the story's not going to land. Uh, we have enough television uh, from 2.0 so far to tell us that. So I think he's a very talented guy. Um Nash Carter's situation is not his fault at all, but I do feel that uh, with the tag team gone that he's unfortunately going to suffer booking-wise, and I think this was the first sign of
2: that. Yeah, I can't um, disagree with any of that. Uh, Mackenzie Mitchell, very busy tonight. Um, She asks Natalia for her response to uh, Cora Jade's vignette, and this is a bizarre explanation for her attack. She says it wasn't, in fact, an attack. It was self-defense from the future, because typically what happens is that when NXT stars get called up, they are programmed with Natalia which is true because, like, she's installed as the gatekeeper. And uh, to teach her the WWE style, When well, what was the performance center for? There's all this, this incredible disconnect, but they've made that canon for some reason. And she says this was a preemptive attack because future Cora Jade was always going to target her on the main roster. Anyway, it's all a complete wacky load of nonsense. Um, Nikita Lyons walks in, uh, and she says something to the effect of, like, Natalia's going to be on notice and that she's going to come for her after... He takes out Lash Legend once and for all. <laughs> Do you care about any of this? I'll share this move swiftly on. Uh, it,
3: it, the line about being very flexible was quite funny.
2: Yes. Yeah, They know what they're doing. Oh, uh, great. Pervert, pervert great. stuff. Yeah, greatly. They know what they're doing. Um, we get another recap of Von Wagner um, throwing uh, Ikeman Giro into the audience last week. Um, Putting
3: Kushida over a pile of bins. That was literally his write-off backstage. Absolutely. Quality.
2: I just... <laughs> in, it's just incomparable cruelty this uh, yeah. organisation is capable of. Wagner has been suspended and fined by management um, in a mm. sort of um, dramatic sort of escalation. That I don't care if they get fined.
3: He's getting a little bit more convincing, Vaughn, but... Uh, <laughs> hmm.
2: <laughs> it would be hard hard for him to not. Maybe he's been so bad and so, like, <laughs> synthetic this entire time yeah. to, like, give himself a curve to play with. Maybe he's a long-term worker. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Speaking of uh, long term workers, we get JC Jane installed, as he <laughs> said, is the Minami Toyota of the division. And my God, again, I'm not exaggerating here. Much like Zion Quinn and Wesley, like JC Jane, I don't think I've seen her look as good in a match like this, but I think that speaks to yeah. Roxanne. I'm not saying it was good. Yeah. I'm not saying it was very good at all. I'm just saying there were elements of fluidity of um, not telegraphing the life out of everything that they do. I thought Roxy looked like a natural in there. Obviously not the finished article. That's what the show's for. She's, as he said, she's only 20 years old. And uh, Perez gets the shock win, but it's mostly an angle. Yeah, I mean. Because what happened, obviously, yeah. is Wendy Chu appears on the Tron. I can't believe I forgot this. Yeah. The show is so... <laughs> Come on. It's the most theoretically wacky and memorable and harebrained thing. Yeah, it drops out of my head I have to refer to my notes every single time. So they do the stuff. It's not great, but, you know, by toxic attraction standards and given the level of experience of opponents, are not actually that bad. Yeah, Wendy Chu yeah. appears in the Tron. Um, she's very sleepy. And it is revealed that she's destroyed the toxic attractions at the lounge. Yeah, the
3: the booking is more of a problem than the performance, isn't it? Like Roxanne Perez is very, very good for, like I've said earlier, for someone so young in the game, trained by Booker T, lost potential would shock me if she was not considered one of the best wrestlers in the world within the next five years. She's really good. Um, There's one bit here where I was like, Oh my God, that didn't look very convincing, but it was when JC Jane was on offense.
2: Yeah. There you go. Five of those moments. (laughs)
3: Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think it would have probably been a bit more useful to maybe Put Gigi Doley in there. She at least has a track record, uh, certainly on the indies of having good matches. So that would have maybe resonated a bit more, but can't really complain with, with, the the execution of most of this match. But the booking man, come on. Like right? it, it's Roxanne Perez's first match in W. Oh well, she was on level up or whatever the other week. But on the main show, here she is. First introduction for most people to this to this young wrestler who they've decided already is TV ready. And I agree she is. Um and you have to protect JC Jane by giving her a distraction
2: loss. It's it's JC Jane. She's like. But toxic attraction, Andy Murray, (laughs) are the most dominant force in NXT. Yeah, they're so dominant that they can't
3: keep hold of their tag team titles for a single defense before jobbing them and then winning them back. It's, It's the least convincing thing in the world, man. It's not like this stable of. Dominant, incredible wrestlers who are so refined that nobody can beat them. Why does the hot new prospect, rising star coming through the ranks, need a distraction to beat JC Jane, the third-ranked member of this crap stable? It's. I'm gonna time out. You will. I say this time and time again. You don't. You can tell I don't do these podcasts often because I apply logic. Oh yeah, we <laughs> just is given stupid. up on that. Yeah, it's totally stupid. Like it's
2: the right choice to not do that. Um, but before I tie myself in knots over this stuff. Let's move on. Let's indeed move on. Um, Santos Escobar pissed selling the attack from earlier in the night. Um, He's caught up at the car park area, but the tires have been clamped. There's a dead fish on the hood. Now, (laughs) using incredibly (laughs) a hacky and obvious mafia symbolism is either a stupid decision on Tony D'Angelo or it's a flex. (laughs) Come and get me, please. (laughs) If I had to me, what are you going to do about it sort of thing? Either that or he's not very clever at obscuring the fact that it was him. What do we think it is? Or do we even care?
3: Uh, uh, To be honest, I don't really care. Um, Okay. But kind of like, sorry, but kind of like the goofy men in their goofy suits earlier. This is kind of so terrible that I'm kind of into it. And it's funny it's. I'm not saying it's good. Yes. But I'm saying I will take a dead fish on a car hood over some of the rubbish on this show. For sure.
2: <laughs> what am I talking about? We get an NXT tag team title match next between Pretty Deadly and uh, Duke Hudson and Dexter Loomis. And the general gist of the match is that Pretty Deadly are um, cutting them off, cutting the ring in half, blah, 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 doing the heel um, tag team stuff. And the general beat of the story is that God damn it. Hudson and Loomis are slowly fashioning a chemistry throughout, and they sort of look at one another when they're about to deliver a tandem move and say, Can we do this? And then they execute the move. And the whole point is they're trying to develop as a tag team, intra match. And um, it works to an extent because it gets some near falls towards the finish. And then it just kind of simply ends in the favor of the heels.
3: Yeah, mid, extremely mid. I think it was fine. You've outlined the story there. I don't really need to dive into that anymore. Uh Pretty deadly are a better visual and audible act than a wrestling act.
2: Yes, boy. Yes, boy. I think w- that Wilborn is going to drive us all absolutely yeah. insane in the weeks and months to come.
3: I think that that catchphrase has a relatively good chance of getting over as an obnoxious heel thing. Because not in the office though. Not in the We're going to kill Wilborn. Oh Bourne no, by no, the, we're going to beat him up. I'm going to cut him into pieces and store him in the basement with Joe Gacy um, or Harland wherever he is. Um Wrestling-wise, they're not all that exciting yet, but they've got their presentation down. Um, yes, boy! Oh, I can get over to yes, it? Yes, boy! Yes, boy!
2: Yes, boy! Yes,
3: boy! It's, 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 it's already
2: over, baby! Right. Yes, boy! Can we have a... Wait, if there are any listeners out there, don't be a cop, right? <laughs> Me and Murray, I think we should decide to have when Wilborn's not in the office... Like the most will born thing that we would think you would like, but let's deprive him of it. Let's do it. Because he has enough light, doesn't he? Let's do he it. He has enough fun. So we'll this. cut
3: him off when he tries to do it. Yes. And then we'll just do it behind his back. But when the cat's away,
2: the boys will play.
1: Yes, boy. Yes, boy. Yes, boy!
2: <laughs> on the search of the absolute boy, uh, the entire arena goes black. Joe Casey <laughs> appears on the podium. Oh my God. So he's not a hard man to find. <laughs> he's been there the whole time. He hasn't been playing any mind games like this. Brom Breaker emerges stalks and marches and rampages up to the podium. Casey says, just take it easy. All you had to do was ask nicely for the Hall of Fame ring, which he's been, you know, keeping collateral for this sort of bizarre whatever it is. Um, And he says, look, you will return it. No games, no tricks, no mind games under one condition. You grant me an NXT title match in two weeks at spring break. And Braun says, you've got it. Joe Casey gives him the ring. It says there's one more thing. me. <laughs> Take a leap of faith. Now, what's happened here is that Brom Breaker, like an idiot, has decided to stand right on the ledge of a platform. <laughs> like, you know you what know, i standing like? On a bridge. You're going <laughs> to stand like, right on the edge of it. Do you think? Oh, like, what if I slip? Yeah, yeah. Much less what if the heel who's antagonizing <laughs> me is going to push me. His heels are in line with the edge of this platform because of the pretty gentle shove... He just gets shoved off, and he falls, what, 10 feet to a presumably protected space. I thought, well, he's in the middle of something because why would he stand on the edge of something? And I'm thinking, uh, Horrorland is going to come up behind him and then do something. But no, he just pushes him off. He he must have been standing at the edge of this thing. This is so (laughs) stupid. He's an idiot before he's lowered by this stupid, goofy storyline. Humpty numpty sitting on a
3: wall. Like some kind of clueless egg. God. Yeah. <laughs> Shows to uh, the actual best Scottish character from
2: the thick of it. Anyway. So what happens is <laughs> druids? <laughs> Several <laughs> druids converge. Eight Joe Gacy. <laughs> There's a visual here that I'm not going to tell Andy Murray because one day I want him to watch Twin Peaks. They are, I think they were trying to go for something for 200 Peaks here. And um, it was odd. But basically, he was swarmed by a bunch of druids. And uh, he disappeared under yeah. under waves of druids. Yeah. And
3: I, my headcanon, I'm going with the Brombreaker, was eaten by the druids.
2: Eaten alive by the druids. So they, they tried to attack him, but it looks like they're just like throwing away his yeah. intestines. And
3: you, there was a scene uh, when they were... Teasing civil discontent in uh, King's Landing in Game of Thrones where like a rich, uh, rich guy's going out in the street and he gets t- literally torn apart by a crowd and you see an arm going flying and stuff. Maybe they're, maybe they're, that that's a bit less artsy than Twin Peaks. So maybe that's more in WWE's wheelhouse. Uh, although it's kind of funny to think, oh, we can re- we can recreate this really acclaimed high arts TV show in, in the performance center. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was wash, man. Like, I'm not going to go into the dumbass stuff. You've outlined that perfectly is a moron. Character is a moron.
2: It's one Um, thing to put yourself in the position of danger, right? Yeah. To be near Joe Casey when he's obviously got a plan. But the implication is standing on the edge of a platform. Yeah. I can't get over this.
3: And this guy as well, like, has gone from trying to tear this guy's head off backstage, punching mirrors and stuff, just going, oh, hey, Joe, what's up? (laughs) Like, (laughs) where's my ring, pal? It's like the tone completely flipped. But like... Okay. So a couple of things I want to dive into here. Uh, and I'm well aware we're going quite long, but Hey, it's the boys, it's the boys, uh, it's the the brothers. Okay. The execution of this was, Oh my God. Obviously you don't want people taking ridiculous, scary bumps. I'm not advocating for that at all because someone will misconstrue, misconstrue what I'm about to say. So clearly they've filmed this in another way. They haven't done it live clearly from the way it was executed unless Braun Breaker just climbed down and then lay on the floor but they've done it in such a way where the crowd reaction felt completely detached from what was going on screen so they were barely making any kind of noise to watch you what if you're going to sell this it needs to be like oh my god what happened the crowd is just like uh, uh. so either they've completely flubbed the execution of this live or they and they have failed to like Compensate for that by maybe piping in some noise, which I'm not an advocate for, but it would have made this a little bit better, um, or they've just made a complete hash of it, and then you get the ridiculous ending of, Joe Gacy has, what are these, does Bruce Richard think that these are, like, liberal people on Twitter, like, they spend their spare time, like, wearing cloaks and eating people, like, what? what's going on here? It's like, oh, they voted for Joe Biden, what are they? what's going on? Braun Breaker, Braun Breaker, let's have a little conversation about him in the bigger picture, because... So many people are are, are very convinced that Bron Breaker is a ready-made megastar. He's a can't-miss prospect no matter what they do with him. He is going all the way to the... He should dethrone Roman Reigns! He should do this, he should do that. They should hot-shot him to the main roster, right? Where's this coming from? And how does it continue beyond segments like this? Default bias. Yeah, that's the short answer. Week to week. This is a complete systematic failing on WWE's behalf. Early on, Braun Breaker was pretty awesome because he had these flashes of Steinerisms in him. Cool moves, great aesthetic, the kind of shouting jock attitude. He sounds exactly like his Uncle Scott when he speaks. Really cool. Very un-NXT things, very un-WWE things. It was like, cool. They've identified this guy's core traits. They've identified what makes him unique in the modern wrestling landscape. And they are emphasizing them and they are not forcing him to do stuff that he's not good at or that he doesn't suit. And as the weeks progress, you get the Dolph Ziggler feud, which forces him into these boring 10, 15 minute matches where he's forced to work the house style that completely nullifies the bursts of character and personality and energy and, and meathead stuff that made him so cool He has to sell, like you said earlier, people aren't into him when he sells. His charisma evaporates in these matches. You don't get any of the vibe that you get in the squashes and in the promos, which proves he's not ready yet for these spots. And then you get to this week and he's doing fiend stuff and he's walking around backstage and going, where's my dad? He's not in this cage that has conveniently been left here. He's not in a mirror Joe Gacy's teleported behind. None of this plays into any of the guy's strengths. Braun Breaker, if he's being engineered into these scenarios, should no-sell the spooky stuff. He should be completely burying the Joe Gacy shenanigans. He shouldn't be getting shoved off a thing. He shouldn't be baited into a cage. And if he is baited into a cage, like you said, he should... Punch his way out of it really stupid and over the top. When he comes out for his show opening promo, he should just be like, Joe, cut the crap. Where are you? Let's fight. He shouldn't be getting duped in by these stupid screens. You know, when he goes into this hall of mirrors and stuff, he should he shouldn't be gotten to. He should be standing there
2: <laughs> walking out. He's it, an idiot, but in a good jock meathead energy way, yeah. as you point out, he shouldn't be like a fool. Gormless. He shouldn't be totally gullible.
3: Yes. Yeah, and then react like a total dope. It's just they are I think that if you were to attach Ernest critique to this, and it's impossible, you would say that they're trying to add dimensions to his character. I would argue that you don't need to. No, you don't need the, to. this the Steiners got over because they were complete animals. And look, I'm not advocating. I mean, I kind of am advocating because I love this style. Um, but I'm not saying that, that Braun should be going around dropping people on their heads like the Steiners used to do, going over to Japan and being these reckless American brutes. Um... But you need to tap into that vibe at the very least and find a way of doing it that's safe in 2022 rather than going, oh yeah, he's just a system guy now because that's what he is. I am continually baffled by the idea that this guy is this can't miss prospect who's guaranteed to be a success. I don't think he is at all. No. I think he's a lot more engaging than 90% of the people on this show outside of a select few, maybe Carmelo and Trick, uh, maybe uh, Legado on their best days or whatever. Um, but... I I just don't see it, man. And I think the longer that they put him in this mold that they are incapable of breaking from, that restricts Braun and his positive traits, that he has a far worse chance of eventually getting over and be the guy they dearly want him to be. He still has a chance. I just don't think the idea that he's nailed on to become a megastar is tenable anymore while he's doing this garbage.
2: I completely agree. You know what they've done literally with him is that they've taken a guy... He's got a certain energy, a certain appeal, who works exponentially better in smaller doses. And then they've weirdly made him do some stupid supernatural stuff. And then you realise once you take him out of the one context he works within, he doesn't have this sort of like Hogan-esque charm where he can kind of do stupid stuff. They've ultimate warriored him. Yeah. Early nineties yeah. ultimate warrior. That's what they've done to Braun Breaker. And it was the parallels between the stuff that they made Warrior do with Taker and Jake in the early 90s to what they're making Braun Breaker do with Joe Gacy on NXT last night are absolutely unmistakable at this point.
3: And if you want to draw... Sorry to cut you off. But if you want to draw an even more worrying line. Look what they did to Scott when they finally got hold of him. Like, and I appreciate that there are other circumstances that led to Scott Steiner not succeeding in WWE, but as soon as they came in, instead of letting him be Scott Steiner, the big bad booty daddy or whatever, uh, they put him in 20-minute matches with Triple H.
2: It's just it's the same what thing. they do. Are we being a little bit too... Uh... Sky is falling about Braun Breaker. If you agree, disagree, you can let us know. Um, and the under the sorry Twitter link to this podcast at what Culture WWE. Uh, whilst you're there, you can follow Andy Murray at at
3: Andy H Murray. The H stands for Hey. I really like Braun Breaker, but they're not giving him a good chance of succeeding.
2: Very earnest one today. Yeah, very yeah. earnest. Than to-
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stoykov. Yesterday, I uh, I think it was ha- Hassan Salahamadžić of, of Bayern Munich fame. So sometimes I just say, like, Peter. <laughs> just, uh, to, nonsense.
2: You can follow me at msidgwick, and again, you can follow us all at what Culture WWE. Stick around on your podcast feeds later today. We have the, N- uh, sorry, the, not the NXT, I'm not talking about that again. We have the AEW Dynamite preview, which will be in a far different tone, I promise. So stick around for that. We'll have the review of that show tomorrow as well. Um, but until then, we will see you soon. Even on a budget,
0: Antilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.